presence of our God is here with us now, that love is here. Amen. Amen. Glad you're here at Creekside Church. Why don't you go ahead and greet those around you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If somebody were to walk up to you on the street and say, are you a Christian? Some of you would say, yes. Some of you would say, what do you mean? Right? Some of you would say, yes, but. Some of you would say, no, but. Some of you would say, I am, but I'm not like that group. The problem with the word Christian is it can be anything you want it to be. There are Christians on both sides of every political issue. There are Christians on both sides of every legal issue. There are Christians on both sides of every financial issue. You can hide behind Christianity all day long. You can define it, redefine it, misdefine it, undefine it. You can do all kinds of stuff with Christian. The word Christian can mean anything you want it to mean. Because the word Christian is not defined in the New Testament. And that's the problem. Welcome everybody to Creekside this morning. Um, that was just a little teaser uh, trailer of what we're going to be doing this summer in our Wednesday, uh, Wednesday night Waypoint program. Uh, starting in June. It's going to go for eight weeks, June and July, and it's going to be for everybody. Obviously, the Andy Stanley series is going to be for the adults and high school kids and adults, um, but we've got activities planned for all ages. We're going to have nursery. We're going to have uh, activities for the younger kids, lesson time, game time for them, and then we're going to be uh, looking, uh, the adults are going to be watching this uh, series on what is Christianity. I kind of wish I, I'm going to be helping with the kids. I'd love to be in here to watch this series because it looks very intriguing and very, uh, very interesting, especially in our day and age. You know, you ask somebody, are you a Christian? And most people are like, well, yeah, I'm an American. I live in a Christian nation. I'm a Christian. So um, that, that's, that's going to be an interesting uh, series. But I just want to encourage everybody to um, get geared up for this this summer. It's, it's going to be an hour long from 7 to 8 o'clock. So if you're going to miss something on Wednesday night, you can always DVR and watch it when you get home. But uh, we've got stuff for all ages. It's going to be fast-paced. You know, we're going to have some uh, time for prayer. We're going to have some time for, for discussion in small groups. So uh, we're going to have a, a, a great summer, and we look forward to having everybody there. And again, it's, it's going to be for everybody. We've got nursery. We've got activities for the younger kids. Uh, so we've got something for everybody. So I want to encourage everybody to uh, start thinking about that. That's just going to start in just a few, few short weeks. Okay, so that's all the time I'm going to take for that. Right now, I'm going to ask Mark and Jacqueline from uh, Freedom for Youth. These folks have been, if you remember when we were over at uh, Timber Ridge, they had a presentation. That's, uh, maybe it was a year ago, I'm, something like that. So um, we're going to give them a little time to give us some more information on Freedom for Youth. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here, and uh, I certainly, uh, on behalf of the ministry, appreciate um, the partnership that we have with your church and the support that we, that we get from you and the prayers. I want to talk to you a little bit about um, the heart of Freedom for Youth Ministries and what it is that we're doing and, and to try to capture the essence of who we are. And I want to uh, read to you a parable that I think does a good job of describing this ministry. This is out of Luke chapter 14. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant 
to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all like began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. See, freedom for youth is a vessel of the church. Freedom for Youth Ministries is about providing opportunities for the one body, the body of Christ, to come and to reach the lost. You will notice in that parable the Master, who is our God, our Father, has instructed us, the servants, to go out and invite people to the banquet. And we know that many people in today's world say, no, I'm, I'm too busy. Um, I have something else to tend to. I have family to tend to. And yet, there are so many children in our world who are dying and are without any hope. Um, they're without any spiritual guidance. And God is calling us to go out and to find them. And you'll notice that the master even became angry. And he said, go out quickly. At Freedom for Youth, we look at this as um, a proposition that may soon end. That we're to go out quickly because we don't know how much time we have left. And we are to love these kids and to love them into the kingdom. And so at Freedom for Youth, we're finding all sorts of ways to do that. Um, our programs um, deal with faith, education, employment, and leadership. And so we are working with our children in all aspects of that and drawing them in and bringing them in and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. It does not happen without the church coming and getting involved and loving these kids. I have had kids say to me, what is this love? I don't understand it. How come I've never felt this before? And when they understand that it's the love of Christ in the volunteers that are reaching out to them, they open their hearts and they say, I want that. That's what I need. That's what's missing in my life. And I believe that each of us has a calling in our lives as followers of Christ to go out and make invitations to the banquet and to love these kids into the kingdom. And God is doing some wonderful, miraculous things through the work of the volunteers there at Freedom. Um, we have... 
refugees that have been with us for five, six, seven years, um, coming from war-torn countries, um, families that have been split and, and have come to know the Lord, have grown, and are now being called back as missionaries in their home countries. Isn't that awesome? We have kids um, that are going back to school and are now looking for the kids in their class that are being left out, that are being bullied, that are being made fun of, um, and offering them an opportunity to come to Freedom for Youth. And so, friends, what I want to tell you is that we need you. And this is not about trying to see how many staff that we can hire to do this work. This is about the one body coming and serving and loving these kids. And, and we can make a tremendous impact, not just here in Des Moines, but when um, in the parable it said, go out into the country lanes, find more. We're doing just that. And we have centers set up in Mitchellville and Stewart and Perry and different parts of Des Moines, and we are continuing to branch out and to find more country lanes where the kids are hurting and they have no hope. And so um, I ask you, if, if the Lord is tugging at your heart about getting involved and loving the kids, um, a, a week from today, um, Pastor Nick said that there will be um, a sign-up sheet, some information, um, for all of you to come down as a group and to see what's going on at Freedom for Youth and take a tour of the campus. Um, and we can together go around and I can show you and Jackie will show you what's going on at Freedom for Youth and if God is calling you to get involved in loving these children. Um, we will also be available um, in the back after the service today and would love to answer any questions that you may have. Thank you very much. Just want to take a moment and we're, we're going to take the offering uh, here as we sing our next song and our next song is called Brokenness Aside and um, the grace of God often in the world is, is, is taken as a free as a free, go sin and do what you want because God's going to forgive you anyway. And, and um, Jesus died so that we could have freedom to live the way He wanted us to live. And grace does not say that we can get back up and go squander our wealth and do whatever we want. Grace says we can get back up and guilt-free live in that grace and do what God wants us to do. You see, often guilt keeps us from walking in what God wants us to walk in, that God has gifted each of us to do something specifically, and often guilt keeps us from doing that. But grace says, no, you can get back up and you can walk in, in my will for you. And so I want you to just take a moment and just sit in His presence and just be... And ask God to meet you here in these moments this morning. In His grace, as you confess to Him your heart this morning, the week that you've had, um, the times that you've messed up, just give those all to Him and say thank you for your grace.
that I can get back up and be guilt-free. I can live in freedom. Just be in His presence for a moment. be seated. Good morning. We are going to be in Mark chapter 1, so if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. Mark chapter 1. We've uh, spent a couple weeks in Mark now. Uh, Nick started us off two weeks ago with kind of an introduction, and Austin followed up last week talking about John the Baptist. And I always feel a little more comfortable following Nick because, you know, Nick said he's the son of a hillbilly and struggles with big words and, you know, and then I followed Nick, or uh, Austin, who just, you just did your dissertation, correct? And he told me I got to start calling him Dr. Temperley now, so it's a, <laughs> he didn't really say that. Uh, it's a little more difficult job following a doctor. But uh, this, this morning, we're going to be Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 14, Mark 1, 14. And we're going to be talking about a fisher of men, Jesus calling the first disciples to be fishers of men, And I thought, well, that's probably fitting since I have vast knowledge of fishing. I went once when I was nine years old, and I don't know if we even actually caught a fish, but I know terms like bait and tackle. Those are fishing terms, right? No? Yeah, okay, good. But we're going to be talking about being a fisherman. I was hoping he kind of call guys off the golf course instead of off, the, uh, off fishing. I'd have a few more stories there. Like, uh, I was trying to work this one in, but I outdrove Nate McCoy. We're playing a best shot tournament. I outdrove him on a hole on uh, Friday. Nate's a professional golfer. <clears throat> but then he, uh, that was the only time. I outdrove him by a yard, but anyway. Uh, John, or Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Mark 1, 14, here's what it says. It says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for this story of you calling the first disciples. God, we want to look at this story and see how you have called us. And we're reminded, as, as Mark just shared, God, you are calling us to more than just to sit on the sidelines. God, there is no middle ground when it comes to following Jesus. And as we look at this and we look at the lives of the disciples, we understand they were willing to give up everything in, to follow this call. God, we pray as we study this morning and as we continue and we go through the Gospel of Mark, God, that you would enlighten us and show us what it is to be a disciple, a true disciple of you, and what it is to lead others in this same journey, in this same path of being a disciple of yours. God, we pray that you would challenge, that you would encourage, that you would speak to us this morning. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Our, our mission statement here at Creekside is simple, and it's nothing that we, we came up with on our own. We took the mission that Jesus has left us with, 
And our mission statement says this, leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus. Leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus. That's what we want to be about as individuals and as a church. We want to be about that mission. And Austin touched on it last week, but you, you can look and you can see the picture and the example that John the Baptist gave us, right? John the Baptist was there to point people to Jesus, right? Here is the Messiah that is coming. Go follow Jesus. We are on that same mission, leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus. This is the mission that we want to be on. This is the mission that we want to be about. I will tell you this, though, if you want to be someone who is on that mission, someone who is leading people to a devoted relationship with Jesus, we know we first must be on that ourselves, right? If I'm going to show somebody, here's what it looks like to follow and pursue Jesus, I first need to be doing that. I teach real estate, and I, I have an opportunity to educate new and train new real estate agents. And one of the things that, that as a real estate trainer that I've done is I've actually bought and sold houses. I've helped real buyers and sellers buy their dream home. And so what I can do in my training is say, here's what it looks like to go from point A to point B. If you want to be successful in this business, here are the things you need to do. And I can do that because I've done it before, right? If I want to be on this mission of leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus... I better be on that journey myself. I better first know what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. If I want to be a disciple maker, I better be a disciple. And we want to encourage and challenge you as we go through the Gospel of Mark and we look at the Gospel of Mark, it tells us a lot about what it is to be a follower of Jesus. It reveals a lot of what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And if you want to be a disciple maker, you must first be a disciple. Now, we understand that we're not looking for perfection, that it's not this sense that once I'm here, then, then I can go and be on this mission. What Jesus is calling us to is that we, when we are on this journey, when we are leading people to this devoted relationship with Jesus, that we are, as we're on the journey ourselves, we're carrying other people. We're pulling other people on this journey as well. This is what we want to be about as Creekside. This is what we want to be about as individuals. And if we are to be about and on this mission, we must first be a disciple ourselves. And I would encourage you and challenge you, read through the Gospels. Because the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are going to give you a great picture of what a disciple is to look like, right? A book, Crazy Love, we, we did a whole series on Crazy Love. We've done small groups on this book called Crazy Love, but one of the things I love that Francis Chan said early in the book, he says, forget about everything you've learned, forget about your time you've studied in the church and all the scripture that you think you know, forget about those things, and just go back, read the Gospels, and see what Jesus says for you to do. See the type of life and the things and the calling that Jesus would have on your life. This is what a disciple is, this is what a disciple looks like. And so many times, and this is a problem not only in our society and in our culture, but also within the church, is that we tend to, to make Jesus as we want him to be, as we see Jesus, as he fits our needs. Okay, you know, I want this connection with Jesus. 
And again, we, we have a society that wants this too. They want a connection with Jesus as long as it's a Jesus on their terms, right? And we do that in the church as well, that we're okay with Jesus. We're okay being a disciple of Jesus as long as it's on my terms and as long as the Jesus that I see. Problem with that, though, because if that's the Jesus that we see, there's no challenge in our life. There's no change or transformation in our life. Because when you read this Jesus, the Jesus that's calling the disciples here, the Jesus of the Gospels, when he speaks, change happens. People's lives are transformed. Because he doesn't, he doesn't call us just to sit, right? Mark shared that. But he calls us to something more. He calls us in this pursuit of him, in being a disciple, in making other disciples, that we're going outside our comfort zone in this. This isn't something that comes naturally. See, what comes naturally is me doing what I want to do. Self-centeredness started way back in the beginning. We are called to be a disciple, but called to be fishers of men and to make disciples. But to do that, we first must understand what a disciple is. There's three things I want to talk about this morning. First one is the calling. The second one, I'm going to make it easy because i got to keep it simple. Number one, the calling. Number two, the called. And number three, the caller. The calling, the called, and the caller. And the first one we see in here is the calling. Jesus calling the first disciples. Now, Jesus' calling is unique. It's different. If you would study and you would uh, study rabbis, teachers, and see how they go about gaining disciples and, and pupils, it was different than what Jesus did. See, normally what would happen is the pupils, the students, the disciples would choose their rabbi. Right? They would go around, they would see what rabbi, what they're teaching, and then they would choose to follow, I'm going to be a follower of that rabbi. But Jesus is different. What does he do? Jesus seeks these guys out. He goes up to Andrew and Peter, drop your nets and follow me. He goes up to James and John, leave your father Zebedee and follow me. Jesus' calling is unique. Jesus calls us. And until we've been called by Jesus, we can't be a disciple. Until we've been called by Jesus, we can't relate to what he's telling us and the way in which we should live and the things in which we should do. I understand Jesus may call you in different ways than what he called these disciples here, right? He may call you through a relationship with a friend. As that friend begins to share the story of what Jesus has done in their own life and what Jesus can do in your life, you begin to sense that calling to follow Jesus. Jesus can call us through reading his word, right? We just talked about it. Go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and begin to see who this Jesus is and what he's calling you to. My encouragement and my challenge to you is if you want to discover the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus that you want him to be, but the Jesus of the Bible, the true Jesus, go into the Gospels, start Matthew, Mark, 
Luke, John, and just see who Jesus is. Begin to read what he's asking of you. The kind of life that he wants you to live. live, The kind of things that he wants you to do. The heart and mindset and makeup that he wants. Begin to read the Gospels. This is what it looks like for Jesus to call us. And Mark is showing us that we can't have a relationship with us unless he is calling us. Now what's he calling us? What is this calling? Here's what it says. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. What is Jesus calling them to do? He's calling them to become be fishers of men. But what are they going to proclaim? They're going to proclaim this good news. This good news. This is why Jesus has come. This is what he is going to proclaim. This is what he is going to have the disciples proclaim. This good news. The Greek there is evangelon, is the word. And what evangelon means is literally it means news that brings great joy. But it's not any news. It's not news like, okay, I'd be happy Iowa State won the national title. That's great news, all right, exciting stuff. This is news that is going to shape, it is going to change, it is going to alter your life. This is the kind of news, evangelon, great news. Now, this also wasn't unique to Christianity, okay? This word, great news, evangelon, is not unique to Christianity. The actual good news that Jesus speaks and tells us is very unique. We know that. But you can go and you can see there's an inscription in Jesus' time. Uh, it's a Roman inscription, and it says the same thing about Caesar Augustus. It says the beginning of the gospel, that good news, of Caesar Augustus. And it begins to describe his birth and coronation, right? It's the life of Caesar Augustus, a life-changing event. Good news. There's also, if you would go and you'd study about the, the wars between Persia and Greece, Okay, Persia was going to invade Greece. They did invade Greece. It was around 480 B.C. I'm sure you want to hear all about it. Around 480 B.C. But what had happened during that time, there were several key battles. And Persia is looking to come in and take over Greece. Okay, so Persia comes in, and there's a great battle at sea. I can't remember the name of the battle, but there's a great battle as well in Marathon. And you probably heard of that battle. Well, after these battles are taking place, Greece is victorious. They win the battle. They drive the Persians back to their own land. And after the battles are won, what has happened is they would go out and they would send out this word evangelon, these literally evangelists, to proclaim this great news. And so the battle was won and they'd send out these evangelists and they would go out to these different cities. They'd go out to Athens, and there's more great Greece cities, right? What are some more? Sparta, that was the one I was thinking of. I'm dead after that, so that's it. So Greece and Sparta, these great cities, right? And they would proclaim this great news. And the great news was this. The great news was a battle has been fought for you. You didn't have to fight the battle. We fought the battle for you. The battle was won, and now because the battle is won, you are free. And they would send these evangelists out to proclaim this great news, evangelon. This is what Jesus is saying. This is what Jesus has done, right? 
Jesus has gone out. He's done the work for us. And now our lives have been changed. And we are now free because of what Jesus has done. This is the difference between Christianity and any other religion. Other religions give us a list. Here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to become. But with Jesus, it simply says, here's what I have done. The work has been finished. See, he has gone before us. He has done the work. And now there's this life-changing, life-altering event because of the finished work of Jesus. This good news. It's been accomplished. It's been finished. We've gone from dead to alive. We've gone from sinner to forgiven. We've gone from lost to found because of Jesus. Isn't that great news? What Jesus has done? And so what he's doing here is he's calling the disciples, he's calling them to share this great news of who he is and what he's done. He also makes mention in here, he says this, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. And because that kingdom of God is near, go and preach this good news. The kingdom of God is near. What a beautiful thing. See, if you go back and you read and you start in the book of Genesis, you see something. Genesis 1 and 2, you see a world that was perfect. A world in which God had created perfect the way God intended it to be. This was the world God had intended us for us to live in, this perfect world. And Genesis 1 and 2, it paints the picture of this perfect world. But something happens in Genesis 3, doesn't it? In Genesis 3, we see the fall of man. In Genesis 3, it's no longer about God's kingdom, but it becomes about our own kingdom. And see, the disconnect and the reason we need this good news is because in Genesis 3, we now become the king of our own lives. Right? That, that bite of that fruit is taken, sin enters the world, and we now the king of our own worlds. And this is kind of the root of all sin. The root of all sin is self-centeredness. That we are now in charge of our own lives. That we are now the king of our own lives. And it started all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, and it exists today. That the reason, and really the root of all sin, is the fact that we're the king of our own lives. Self-centeredness. And what we need, and what Jesus has come to proclaim this good news, is we need a new king in our life. Don't we? That this life is no longer me. I'm no longer the king of my own life, but I need a new king. That king is Jesus. This is the good news that's been proclaimed. This is the good news that Jesus has come to share. The kingdom of God is near, and the kingdom of God is perfect. Go back, read Genesis 1 and 2. And so now life is more than just about, hey, one, one glad morning I'm going to fly out of here. I'm going to go to heaven and it's going to be great. It's more than that. The gospel, the good news is more than that. It's that the kingdom of God is near. That God is going to restore this broken world how he originally had it. 
There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more injustice. There will be no more hunger. I'm going to put Mark out of work, but, but no more, right? When Jesus comes back, the world will be as it was intended to be. The kingdom is near. And so now this message is being proclaimed. Jesus is coming along and he's telling them, here's the good news. The good news. The kingdom of God is near. No more pain. No more suffering. No more injustice. No more death. No more tears. I'm coming back and I'm going to restore it. Isn't that great news? He's coming back to restore it. What an awesome thing. What great news that we can point people to Jesus. We can point people to the king, that if you know the king, that king is returning. That king is coming back. That king is coming back to restore and make things new again. What great news, because we live in a hurting and a broken and a dying world. But we follow, we follow a king who's coming back to make it whole, to make it new. Great Great news. The next thing we see in here, and that is the calling. The next portion is the called. And this is for us. That's for us as well. But this speaking, we see Andrew and Peter and James and John. This is who Jesus is calling. But understand, he has called you as well. He has called for you to be a disciple. He has called for you to be a disciple maker. Here it is. He says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. What do they do? Listen to this. They literally drop their nets, right? Andrew casting a net in the lake. Simon, Andrew, both drop at once. They left their nets and followed him. He goes along, James and John, without delay, he called them and they left their father Zebedee behind. Jesus calls, they respond. I think there's two keys here as we look at these two things. One, we see them in their occupation, okay, their job. And two, we see James and John with their family. And in some cultures, and this would probably be our culture, is that priority in our life can often be our career, right? I don't know if you struggle with that, but your priority could be your career. In many cultures, the priority is family. And I think we address both of them right here. James and John leave their father behind. Andrew and Peter drop their nets, drop their jobs, follow Jesus. And if you read throughout the rest of the gospel, you're going to see that it's not that James and John never see their dad again. They do. It's not that they don't all fish again. They do. But what Jesus wants from our lives, he wants priority, doesn't he? He wants priority over our career. He wants priority over our family. I love that Mark shared... Uh, in Luke chapter 14. I want to share really quick in Luke 14. Right after the portion he was in, 
It says this, verse 25, it said, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. If anyone comes after me, he must hate those things. Doesn't that sound a little extreme? Doesn't it seem a little odd? Because doesn't Jesus tell us that we should even love our enemies? See, Jesus is not calling us to actively hate our family, right? But he's calling us to comparatively hate. What I mean by that is that if somebody looks at my life and they see my career and my love for my career and they see my love for Jesus, in comparison, it would seem like I hate my job. When somebody looks at my family, it's not that they would think that I hate my kids and they hate, that I hate my wife, but in comparison to my love for Jesus, it would seem like that. Because I am so in love with Jesus and I am so passionate about being a disciple of Jesus and making a disciple that everything else pales in comparison. This is what he's talking about. Not that I should hate these things. Not that I never get to see my dad again, if only. I'm just kidding. Not that I would leave my career and leave everything behind. But it would pale in comparison to my love for Jesus. This is what a disciple looks like. If I want to be on the mission of making disciples, I must first be a disciple, and that is what a disciple looks like. Someone who loves Jesus more than I love my career, more than I love my family, more than I love anything else in my life, that everything else in my life pales in comparison to my love for him, right? This is the call. Come and follow me, he says, and I will make you fishers of men. What he actually says is, come and follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. See, with Jesus, when he calls us on something, it's a journey. See, he's not calling the disciples and they're going to be fishers of men that next day. In fact, we can kind of see as we read through the Gospels, there's a process, isn't there? When Jesus calls us, there's a process. When he calls us, when he called his disciples, he told them to come and become fishers of men. That eventually they would be fishers of men. But that day they weren't, were they? You go and read the story of the disciples, and you can see this process that takes place. In the beginning, Jesus is calling them, just, hey, come. Come and see. And by the end of their time with Jesus, what's he calling them to? Come and die. Now imagine if Jesus told them that at the beginning. Hey, you know what? Come with me. You're going to be hung upside down on a cross, but hey, come on. Would they have followed him, maybe? Probably not. See, with Jesus, it's a process. I was asking my, my seven-year-old daughter, what does it mean to, be, to fall in love and be married? I wanted her to write an essay, so she wrote me an essay on what it means to fall in love and be married. Now, for me, 
as a seven-year-old and looking at the prospect of falling in love and getting married, we don't understand the journey, do we? And we may not understand all that goes into it. Can I read this to you, though? Here's what Ava said about what it means to fall in love and be married. She says, it means to not break apart and love each other forever. It also means to make each other happy and try not to fight. God will still love them if you do fight. And it also means to celebrate one another, love one another, and make each other have fun and smile. Isn't that great? But from a view of a seven-year-old, thinking about love and marriage, not understanding the journey that's to come. Now for me, I, I want to show my daughter, through my own marriage, what that journey looks like. Right? And if we think about making disciples, if we think about leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus, it doesn't start with the end product. But it starts with, let's bring them along on this journey. And I first, I need to be on this journey, right? If I want to show my daughter what it is to be a loving husband, to have a great marriage, I better display it for her. If I want to show it is, show what show people what it is to be a devoted follower of Jesus, I better be on that journey myself. Leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus. Until we have begun this process ourselves, it's difficult, difficult to lead others on that same journey. The last thing I want to share here is the caller. We've seen the calling, this great news that's been proclaimed, this news that will change and transform our life, this news that has freed us. Somebody else has done it. Like that, that battle in Greece, they fought the battle, they did it for us, and now because of it, you are free. Jesus has done the same for us, this great news. He's called us. Right? You look and you see it, the disciples were called to follow him. Jesus is calling us. And all of us, understanding, we may be at different places. Some of us have, have not responded to this message. We've maybe heard the good news before, that Jesus has, as we're going to see in Mark chapter 10, acted on our behalf, went to the cross, became a ransom for many. We've heard that good news, but maybe we haven't responded to it. For some of us, we've begun the journey. And like the disciples, he's continuing to take us deeper. What a great opportunity with Mark and freedom for youth. Great opportunity. People who need to go on that journey, right? Who need to discover Jesus. Who need to know what it is to live a devoted life to him. And as disciples of Jesus, we are called to bring others on that journey as well. We want to be about that as individuals. We want to be about that as a church, leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with him. The band's going to come back up here. And the last thing we want to look at is the caller. And this is Jesus. I don't think the disciples would have followed Jesus 
had they had any idea what was in store for them. But Jesus took them on this journey. Jesus' goal was to make them, for them to become fishers of men. And what Jesus wants from any disciple is to be a fisher of men. To be like Jesus. That's what he is, right? He's a fisher of men. To do that, we need to realize who the king is. To do that, to become a fisher of men, we need to realize I'm not the king. I may act like I'm the king of my own life, but I'm not the king. To become a fisher of men, Jesus must become the king in your life. And there's something about when Jesus, and you can tell that Jesus is the king in somebody's life. You can tell that, can't you? They live differently. They act differently. And it's no longer their kingdom, but it's other people. And this message of leading people everywhere to devote a relationship with Jesus, it comes naturally. Because they're no longer the king of their own life. Jesus has become the king of their life. So we want to celebrate and we want to worship the king this morning. And I would encourage and I challenge you, no matter where you are in this pursuit of Jesus, to sit and reflect and think about his calling on you. And if you haven't made a decision to respond to this great news, this news that will change and transform your life, this altering, life-shaping news... And we want to encourage you that even this morning, you may respond to that good news. If you know Jesus and you want to lead people everywhere to a devoted relationship with him, we first must be on this journey for, as a disciple first if we're going to lead others in this journey. This so may encourage and challenge you Dive into the gospel. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. See what it is to be a disciple. To be a disciple maker, we must first be a disciple. We're going to have an opportunity here to remember Jesus, to really celebrate this good news, that somebody went on my behalf, that somebody stepped up in my place, and now because of it, I'm free. The lost has been found. The slave, the captive has been made free. So let's celebrate and remember this good news, this great news that God has given us in his son Jesus. There's going to be a, a table just up here, only these two tables. It will be bread to remember that his body was broken the juice to remember his blood that was shed this new covenant that we have this new life that we've been given in Jesus so I would encourage you that if you know Jesus if you are a disciple of Jesus if you are a follower of Jesus to come up and celebrate and remember this thing that he has done for us this great news let's pray God, thank you
that you have called me. God, remind me and show me what a disciple looks like. God, thank you that you have called us. God, may we not be complacent. May we not just sit still, stand on the sideline. May we realize that you have called us to so much more. And this invitation to come and follow you is so much more. God, may we go on this journey with you, this journey with Jesus. And God, may we be about your mission to bring others on this journey as well. God, we know, we know there will be difficulties. We know there will be trials. We know there will be tribulations. We know there will be tough times. But we also know the king and we know the king is coming back and we know when the king comes back there will be no more trials or tribulations there will be no more suffering tears pain hunger injustice God that we would know the king that we would follow the king that the king the one true king would reign supreme in our lives. All other parts of our lives would pale in comparison for our love for the King. God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. May he be the King in our lives. We pray it and we ask it in the King's name. together. God, uh, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this great news. God, may we hear the calling of Jesus. May we go on this journey. God, may we become fishers of men as well. God, may we be reminded of this mission we're to be about, leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus. May we be on that journey, and may we bring others on that journey as well. Help us to go out. Go out now. Go out in power and proclaim this message of Jesus, this great news. We thank you for him. We thank you for our king. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming.